invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 485, Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to be walking through sections of the book of Isaiah through Easter Sunday. And we're just reminded this past week that Isaiah is one of those books of the Bible that rewards um, frequent reading um, and meditating on. And so um, I hope that 10 years from now I get to preach another sermon series through Isaiah. It's going to be better and deeper um, than it is now. But I invite you to listen to what Isaiah says, um, beginning in verse, chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, and all the towering mountains, and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low, and the pride of men humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols will totally disappear. Men will flee to caves and the rocks and to holes in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, men will throw away to the rodents and bats the idols of silver and idols of gold which they have made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in man who has but breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, how many of you this past week enjoyed a little taste of spring? Um, most of us really, really enjoyed the weather on Friday and Saturday. I think those were the right days. But it was a little bit warmer outside. You kind of see that there's hope after the darkness of winter. It's coming. And it caused May and I to have a conversation. We were riding in the car, and, and we were talking about it being warmer, and we were talking about spring, and then we were talking about, before you turn around, summer will be here. And, and May and I were just dreaming about summer and, and all the things that we love to do in the summer. And one of the things that we like to do, if we're able, is to go to the Splans' agreed-upon favorite vacation destination, which is the beach. Really, any beach. We don't care. There's a beach there, and it's warm. We can get in the water and eat ice cream and do all the things. Then, then that's, that's where we like to be. And so May and I are forward-thinking to the summer that's coming. And it made me think about one of the reasons I like to go to the beach is I love the water. Um, I love to just sit there and watch the ocean come. One of my dreams is that as my children get older, the more time I sit watching the water. Anyway, there's something fascinating about the water that both draws me in and fills me with a certain amount of fear and trepidation. There's a calmness to the water. It's fun to go to the lake. It's fun to go to the beach and kind of get out there and relax. But all of us know that, that we were not meant to live in the water. And that if things went wrong and I got out there far enough and deep enough that the ocean or the lake in the deepest parts is not conducive to human life after a while. I'm not built to breathe the water and turn it into oxygen. And it makes me think about some of the most terrifying thoughts that I could have about difficult situations I could be in. 
Some of you may be expert scuba divers. Uh, I'm not. I've never been. I'm not sure that I'll ever go. There's something terrifying about getting in really, really deep water, and the lower you go, the darker it gets. The more disorienting it is, you could get to a point where you don't even really know up from down, I hear. And in your panic, you might be swimming as hard as you can to get to the surface of the water and only be getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Tell me you're not terrified right now, right? That sounds like one of the most terrifying things ever. And then if you run out of oxygen, you can't get back. You see, what, you see how that ends. I, I think in some ways that's, that's an interesting and maybe even accurate way to think about sin in our lives at times. That, that in our arrogance and in our pride sometimes, we think we're going up. We think we're ascending. We think we're becoming more powerful and more independent and more of who we're supposed to be, when in reality, we're going further down. And the farther that we get away from dependence upon God and obedience to his will for our lives, the lower and the lower and the lower that we go. Now, in the book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah chapter 2 is just really beautiful. And Isaiah chapter 2 gives you kind of these contrasting pictures of what it would look like for us to be faithful as God's people. And then it's contrasted with what it would look like for us to be unfaithful as God's people. And at the root of the difference between these two pictures of discipleship ultimately lies this idea of do we think that we have it in our own power, in our own wisdom, in our own ability to live an abundant life, or are we dependent upon God like we just sang? So listen, in the first half, in verses 1 through 5, Isaiah gives this vision of a future day and kind of this vision of what it would look like as God's people live obediently in relationship with him. And I, and I thought about that passage from Matthew chapter 5 of them. Isaiah says, the mountain of the Lord will be the highest peak in the land. It will far surpass all the other peaks around it. And the nations or the people will be drawn to this mountain. And what's happening on this mountain? Listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Let, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord that he might teach us his ways and we might walk in obedience to his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So kind of what is happening is the people are drawn to this mountain because they want to know God's wisdom and will for their lives, and they want to walk in it, and, and they want to experience God's blessing. And some of the things that happen when they experience God's blessing is peace with God and peace with other people. There's this description of, um, in verse 4, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not rise up against nation. There's going to be this kind of peace that they will experience as they're living in right relationship with God and with each other. Now, how many of you would sign up for that kind of life right now? Like any of us, any of us in our right mind would sign up for a life that would lead us into a peaceful relationship with God, with our creator, and a peaceful relationship with other people, walking in humble obedience and dependence upon him. 
Is that the kind of life that you and I experience? No. I mean, largely, you and I live in a world that we feel like is characterized by chaos, um, kind of at every turn and conflict. And so that's the picture that we see in the next section. So there's this invitation that ends the first section. Come, um, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us live into this vision of what it would look like for us to be God's people. Now, here's what was currently happening in Isaiah's day, and here's what often leads to us not experiencing abundant life and not fulfilling our mission to be God's light to the world. In verse 6, he kind of starts describing the condition of the people. And here's some things that he says about them. Verse 7, their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. So materially speaking, they've got whatever they want. They got all the money and all the stuff that they could ever want. And there can be security in that, can there not? There can be a sense of we've got what we need, we're self-sufficient, we got all the resources we need. Their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. Why is that significant? So from a military standpoint, they were impressive. That can lead to feelings of what? Self-sufficiency and we got this. So they had a lot of stuff, they had an impressive army at this point, but their land is filled with idols. Their land is filled with idols and they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. You see this picture of God's people looking more like the nations than looking like God's people. And they're adopting kind of the mindset, they're adopting the ways of the world, they're finding their security and all the things that other people apart from God would look to. And this is a warning all throughout Scripture. When God's preparing the people to go into the promised land, he says, here's the deal. You're transitioning from obvious dependence, walking through the wilderness. I'm giving you your food. I'm giving you your water. You're going into a place that is flowing with milk and honey. You got houses there. He says, when you get in there, be careful that you don't forget me. I'm the one that brought you in. I'm the one that provided all of these things. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. And when you get in there, there's these feelings of dependence and self-sufficiency that are going to creep up in your heart. Don't do that. Don't be like the nations that you're going to now call neighbors. And we know the story, don't we? They got into the land, they got comfortable, they felt self-sufficient. And what really crept up in their hearts above all things was pride and arrogance. The word that that's kind of has a more emotive effect to me as I read it in this, this verses is haughtiness. I mean, can you imagine being called something worse than haughty? It's like, ugh, sounds terrible. Right? Pride and arrogance and, and haughtiness. The sense of superiority, the sense I'm better than whoever, the sense of I got this. They felt like they were ascending. And, and all of us can, can measure our feelings or our estimation of ourselves along these terms, can we not? What have I acquired? What have I accomplished? 
all these ways that we feel like we're ascending. And if those things lead us to pride and self-sufficiency and feelings of arrogance, and we wouldn't say it to others, but haughtiness, then rather than ascending, we're actually descending. That's what Isaiah says um, in verse 9. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive him. A day is coming, Isaiah says, when it's going to be obvious that the Lord and the Lord alone is exalted. And all humanity, no matter how great or wonderful or impressive, whatever we are in this world, all of that stuff will one day melt away and pale in comparison to the Lord and his glory. And those feelings of self-sufficiency that you and I have or pride or arrogance that would pull us away from obedience and dependence upon the Lord, those feelings are leading us not into things that are going to satisfy the desires of our heart, but rather than making us more human, they are they're destroying the image of God within us and making us less than human. Two stories that are in my mind over and over again as I'm thinking about Isaiah and I'm thinking about the temptation towards sin and pride and arrogance are ones that I've mentioned to you in recent weeks. One of them, both of them foundational, I think, Genesis chapter 3, the fall. And you, you remember when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, the temptation really kind of centered around this idea of pride and arrogance, did it not? It's this idea that, hey, God's keeping you from something that will satisfy you. God's keeping you from something that your eyes will really be open, you'll really be more like him. Just take this, and it will fulfill the desires of your heart. And it, that had to sound good, did it not? If you're honest, that grasping for power or importance or prestige, just take this, your heart will be satisfied, kind of speaks to that human arrogance we have in us, and we know that they took and they ate, and immediately, rather than being at peace with God and each other, like we read about in Isaiah chapter 2, they were at enmity with God and enmity with each other. It did not deliver upon what it promised. And the other story that I've been thinking about that I can't get out of my mind, maybe in 15 years this will be my great book idea, telling you about it early, is the parable of the prodigal son. Like the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son, when he left home, he had rules and regulations, correct? But he also had everything that God, his father, would provide for him. But he believed that something better was available to him outside that setting. And so he left and went to the far country and he lived it up. And maybe there was this idea in his mind, I'm finally free from rules and oppression and all the things those people back there made me do. And now I can truly be free and be me and fulfill the desires of my heart. But when did he come to his senses? Do you remember? Like maybe he thought, I'm ascending. I'm getting higher, more freedom, more ability, more of all the things my heart desires. But ultimately, he was not going up. He was going down. He was being humbled. And he finally got down there with the pigs. And he was down there, and he was so hungry, he was like, that doesn't look bad, <laughs> right? But he had to be brought that low 
to come to his senses and see the insanity of the sin that he had committed in those, in those days. That's the picture of what you see happening with the people of God in Isaiah's day. That they were feeling more strong, they were feeling more um, independent, less dependent upon the Lord. And they were listening to other ideas and other ways and approach to life. And they were moving further away from the Lord. And Isaiah comes with this really strong warning to them. That, that one day, all of this is going to come to an end. That the Lord alone is going to be high and exalted and lifted up. And your idols are going to be found wanting. And you're going to see them for the worthless things that they are. Listen to what he says in verse 20. He says, In that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold which they have made for themselves to worship. To the moles and to the bats, they're going to flee into the caves for safety and security. I don't know what the idols are in your heart. I don't know what the things are in your heart and life that are promising you fulfillment or significance or power or affluence or influence, but all of us have those things. And here's the deal. It is a heart-level battle that we're facing. I'm frustrated with myself all the time, and I'm frustrated with other people who are like me, that we're not primarily rational beings, are we? We do things all the time that are terribly irrational. And somewhere along the way, it's because our hearts believe some story or some vision of fulfillment or happiness that we pursue that are totally irrational. But sin doesn't operate on a rational level. That's why Proverbs chapter 4, this is really serious stuff, would say, guard your heart above all things, for from it flow the springs of life. Just like serpent in the garden, just like the allure of all the world had to offer the younger son, just like the people of God and Isaiah, there are these heart-level temptations that you and I encounter and face. And the way that we fight those and the way that we battle against and we keep ourselves oriented on what is reality is that as we walk in the light of God's revealed will for us and his word, and we walk in community, and we help each other. We help each other. The divine reality, not by what the world says, or feelings of strength and independence, but on feelings of dependence, reminding ourselves of who God is, reminding ourselves that apart from him, we have no good in this life, and walking in obedience. And one of the reasons it's hard is other people. Did you, did you hear the way it ended in verse 22? Stop regarding man, or you could say people, in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Everybody in this room has been intimidated at some point in their life by some other human being, I'm guessing, and done like stupid things in light of that fear. And Isaiah is just saying, here's the deal. Every human being you're ever going to meet has breath in their nostrils which means that they are dependent upon God for life. And one day, that breath will no longer be in their nostrils. 
They will go the way of everyone if Christ doesn't return first. But sometimes those people seem really big and God seems really small and insignificant in our lives. And the writer of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, is saying, don't believe those lies. That ultimately the Lord alone is exalted. Ultimately he cares for you and he's leading you into paths of righteousness and obedience that are good for you and that will bring him glory. And don't worry about people. People will come, people will go, but the Lord is here and he is obedient. So the thing I want you to take away from this is um, similar to last week in that I want you to, to see the Lord as your heavenly father who's leading you in the paths. And he's given you his will because he's created you and you operate best and you experience joy and fulfillment as you yield your life to him. And anybody and any message that pulls you away from that is nothing but a lie. And sometimes the lies sound good. Sometimes the lies appeal to that part of you that you think, oh, I am. I am pretty good. I, I do have this. I am pretty strong. I am pretty smart. I can do this. And that's why it's the, why it's the hardest thing to, to combat. But God's built you to live in relationship with him, in humility, walking in his way. You will experience greater joy in the long term. I'm not telling you it won't be hard sometimes. It will be. You will experience greater joy in the long term, and you'll fulfill the reason that you were created, which is to bring glory and honor to the Lord and point people to him. And it is a beautiful picture of discipleship that's not so even focused on calling out all the evils and all the wrongs in the world, but is maybe even much more focused on our obedience as God's people to be a beautiful and attractive witness to him so that people say, tell me more about your life. Why are you the way you are? And you can point them to the Lord. I'd like you to pray with me. God, we thank you for your word, and we confess to you that we are prone um, to stray from your will and prone to stray from your ways. And in part, it's, it's our arrogance and our pride and, and even our haughtiness that would, that would lead us away from you. So we pray that you would help us to guard our hearts, that you would help us to know you as you reveal yourself in your word, to believe that you are a good and gracious Heavenly Father and that you love us and that the path of obedience will lead to a peace that nothing else will. Save us from ourselves and our own arrogance um, and help us to be be people who show forth the light of Jesus by how we live and others will be drawn to him. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.